I'd like to call to order the, uh, let's see, the regular formal meeting of the Iowa City City Council for January the 16th, 2018. Roll call, please. Botchway? Here. Cole? Here. Mims? Here. Salee? Yeah. Taylor? Here. Thomas? Here. Throgmorton? Here. Item two, student leadership awards. I wonder if Natalie Bure, Kate Kilgard, and Michael Martin could come forward. Hi kids, nice to see you again. What, why don't I stand here and then you, one of you sit over, stand over here and the other two over here. Great, perfect. Okay, we're gonna do our student leadership awards. This is a great thing to do. Students are doing terrific work in our city and in the local schools and this is an opportunity we have to celebrate the great work that they're doing. So the, we have leadership awards for all three of you and they all, the awards all say the same thing, except they have your names on them. So I'll only read them one time. So why don't we start with, tell me your name again, Natalie, is that right? Yeah, I thought so, Natalie Bure. And what I'm gonna ask you to do is read the statement that you have, Natalie, and then I'll ask Kate to do it, and then Michael, okay? Hello, my name is Natalie Beer, and I'm a sixth grader at Regina Elementary. I'd like to thank my teachers, Mrs. Davis, Mrs. Warwick, and Mrs. Blummy, as well as all the Iowa City City Council for this recognition. At Regina, my favorite subject is math, with lunch coming in close second. I also enjoy playing the piano, cello, and percussion. Another hobby of mine is art. I try to be a good student in class and to help my classmates. I am very appreciative of the opportunities for all of us at Regina and in Iowa City. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Sounds like you're on the way to being another Michelangelo, except, you know, Natalie. Oh, I don't need to do that. All right, so now we'll turn to Kate. All right, say, why don't you say your whole name? Um, hi, I'm Kate Clickard. I'm very honored to have been chosen to receive the Outstanding Citizen Award for the City of Iowa City from Regina Elementary. I think I've been selected for this award for a few, for a few reasons. First of all, I help in Mrs. Nelson's second grade class for around 40 minutes on Tuesdays and Fridays. I participate in gymnastics and practice five days a week for 18 hours. I also think I got chosen for this award because I work well with others and I'm kind to everyone. Thank you. Hi, my name is Michael Martin, and I appreciate being selected for this award. I think my teachers picked me for this award because I try hard in school and get good grades. I always try to help a classmate on homework if they need it. I help out at the St. Mary's Parish cleanup, and I am an altar server, too. My sisters and I try to help out around the house and with whatever my, else my parents ask us to do. I enjoy playing sports like baseball and basketball, and for fun, I like to ride my bike, run, and read books. I again want to thank you for this award and to thank my sixth grade teachers for choosing me. Okay, beautifully done. So I wish I had somebody to help me with my homework when I was a kid, you know? So that was then. 
All right, so the Student Leadership Awards, again, they all say the same thing, except for your names. Student Leadership Award for your outstanding qualities of leadership within Regina Elementary, as well as the community, and for your sense of responsibility and helpfulness to others, we recognize Natalie, Kate, Michael. As an outstanding student leader, your community is proud of you. Presented by the Iowa City City Council, January 2018. So congratulations to all of you. You're doing great work at Regina. You're, you're make us all proud. And I'm sure your proud parents are out there. I know they are. There's, there, there he is right there. Mm -hmm. And there's another parent, I'll bet, right there. The grandmother. I don't know which. <laughs> uh, and we're very, you all have done terrific work for your kids. So congratulations to you as well. All right. So Natalie. Be yours, Kate and Michael. Take a look at it. Make sure I didn't make a mistake. That should Thank be you. yours. Okay. So, well done. You probably want to go do your work. Before moving to item number three, I want to make a short statement concerning a racist fire that was recently distributed throughout Weatherby Park and its neighborhood, or throughout the Weatherby Park neighborhood. Uh, and that happened about a week ago, I suppose. Unlike what the neo-Nazi distributors of that fire apparently think, we, the people of Iowa City, are not of one race, nor do we want to be. On behalf of the people of Iowa City, I say, we strongly reject any efforts to propagate white supremacist beliefs and actions in our city. Such efforts completely are completely antithetical to our belief in the value of living in a diverse and inclusive community. So I am confident I'm speaking for everybody up here. We really reject that racist fire, it's completely inappropriate in Iowa City and I would hope in our state and in our country. Okay, item three, consent adoption of the consent calendar as presented or amended. Could I have a motion, please? I'll move. Second. Moved by Taylor, seconded by Botchway. Discussion. So before we move on, I, will, I note that item 3F9 is a letter from Adil Adams, actually a note from Adil Adams, concerning the Sudanese farm at Tiffin. And I, I, I know that Adil is in the audience. Adil, I wonder if you could give us a sense of what the topic is, because your note just says the Sudanese farm at Tiffin. We don't understand what, what you're referring to. Uh, good evening. Uh, believe me, first let me write my name. Sure, thank you. I also, I didn't understand what it means. I live here for 20 years, and this uh, farm concern our people, Sudanese people. There is only four women and two female, 
four females and two males, they got this farm in Melrose Avenue. And there is rumor they spent a lot of money on this farm. And some of them, they told me almost like 30,000 or 20,000 or 10,000. I don't know what, how much because they don't have any access to this farm. But the area is just like this area. And they farm some vegetables. And uh, the other people, they complain why they choose just four or five people and related to the community. And these people, they told me, this vegetable, they're going to take it to a crisis center in the future. Uh, it is OK to take it to crisis center, but how much money is spent it on this farm? And on the other hand, this money, they need it for other poor people. They need this money. And uh, even if you do something like this by worker justice or an agency, uh, should all the public should know, even the mayor that doesn't know, maybe the city manager, city manager maybe doesn't know. And I live here, as I said, 20 years, and I don't know, even nobody give me a farm to farm. This gets for this uh, issue. And uh, I don't know how to get this information, from where. I asked the city clerk, they have any idea, they don't have any idea. So maybe the, the worker justice, they do this thing. And that's why when we first week, the first meeting to make this agency as voice of immigrant, we want our voice to be heard. So nobody know what is going on. Thank you. Okay, Adil, thank you. Uh, so maybe we could have a staff person follow up with Adil to give us some further clarification. We don't need to do it right now. Sure. Right. Okay, thanks. Any further discussion? Hearing no roll call, please. Pachwe? Yes. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Salih? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Yes, motion carries 7-0. Item four, community comment. I'd like to invite anybody who wants to discuss any topic that's not on the formal meeting agenda to do so now. Uh, please come up, state your name, and don't take more than five minutes to make your presentation. <laughs> Should I just put the sticker in anyway, even though it's much larger than the, than the line? <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, good evening, City Council members. Uh, my name is Nicholas Tyson. I live at 1240 Esther Court. I've lived in Iowa City, I guess, for seven years now. Um, I've already submitted a, <laughs> a strangely long letter about the issue of affordable housing in Iowa City. And so I'm not going to repeat everything that I said there because, well, it's too long and I'm not going to be able to fit it in five minutes. But I am a little concerned that despite the fact that affordable housing was an issue in the most recent campaign and city council members have said again and again and again that it's an important issue, I mean, I feel like city government recognizes that there is an affordable housing issue in Iowa City, but not actually the magnitude of the crisis. Now, okay, so by way of comparison, if 10,000 people 
showed up at the emergency room tomorrow morning with meningitis. That would be a public health crisis. And if UI hospitals only had, say, roughly 250 courses of antibiotics on hand to treat those people, that would also be a problem. And an appropriate response to that problem would not be to have the hospital administration call up a pharmaceutical company and say, hey, can you give us five or six more doses? But the thing is, in many ways, the affordable housing situation in Iowa City is very much analogous to that. But the strange thing is, is that it's not being recognized as a, as a crisis. And when it came to the most recent budget discussions, I mean, I met some of you during the, I think it was January 6th meeting. And what I was shocked to see at the, the, the original budget planning meeting, or I guess that wasn't the original one, but it was an early one, was the fact that the city has the capacity to address this crisis. The city is actually nowhere near its borrowing limit. And the thing is, something has to be done now, and it has to be big. Because the thing is, it's not only terrible, it's actually getting worse. Now, to put this into perspective, so 58% of renters in Iowa City are considered housing burdened. So housing burden is this technocratic thing that basically says people who pay more than 30% of their income in rent. So 58% of people, that's an extremely high number. It's higher than New York. New York is actually considered to have probably one of the worst housing crises in the entire nation. And Iowa City is worse. And it's not just worse now, it's getting worse. In fact, a study from 2012 actually projected that Iowa City will have, I think it's two-thirds of all renters being housing burdened. Now, this is a crisis that needs to be addressed now. And you need to throw, basically, buckets of money at it. And so the thing is, the other thing that I was kind of shocked by at the budget planning meeting, and this is, I have, sorry, no animus towards <laughs> the city manager. But when the city manager noted that the $650,000 that's being moved from the general, I believe it's the general operations fund, into the affordable housing bucket of the um, special enterprise funds, that $650,000 is nothing. It's less than what the city has, has appropriated in the FY19 year for a half mile stretch of a sidewalk. So I realize that everything that I had to say both in the letter and here tonight is extremely strident. But what I would like for city council to do is actually recognize the magnitude of what is happening. Because the thing is, the more and more this issue gets set off to the side, the more it has a deleterious effect both on the local economy and our community. Because the other thing that this happens to do is that it concentrates poverty in very specific parts of our community. And so unless the crisis is addressed now, then that's just going to get worse. And so I'm just one guy. Um, I'm just one nerd who likes to sit in on budget planning meetings. But I'm one nerd who also cares about this community. And so not just the sort of like little tiny fixes here and there. And so I'm probably reaching my time. So I'll just leave it there. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. So yeah, could you, uh, we, we can't get in a back and forth, but I wonder if you could uh, send me an email so we could arrange a time to talk. I'd be Absolutely. Very, very happy to talk with you about this. And I would also add that since I, I wrote a, a massive letter and there's a lot of detail in there, if anyone has any questions about anything that I wrote there, do feel free to ask me. I'm perfectly willing to correspond with anyone who wants to. And certainly, Mayor, I will set up an appointment. Great. Thank you. Anyone else?
Good evening, Carolyn. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good, Jim. Um, how about you? Pretty good. Too cold. <laughs> I think of the days when I used to walk home in this kind of weather at night and felt perfectly safe. That was a long time ago. Um, <clears throat> I don't. I don't know. I've been just looking through this uh, cursorily, and I did not see an item in there <clears throat> about the Blackhawk Mini Park and the Ped Mall and. Yeah, you know, we discussed it during the work session. We had a, a, a lengthy discussion about the pedestrian mall and the proposed improvements to it mm -hmm. and how they fit with the capital improvements program and the, what the budget would be and that kind of thing, including Blackhawk Mini Park. <clears throat> well, what did you conclude? Well, we received, <laughs> we received a presentation about what's being proposed, and we instructed the staff to proceed with a base bid and also include two alternates to the base bid and that we'd have basically separate consideration of the two alternates. And beyond that, I'm, I, I can't go into detail about it, but you, know, you could watch the work session on cable TV because it's, you know, it's televised. Okay, well, I, I'll try to do that. But, you know, I, I'm fully uh, in favor of fixing things that are obviously you know, in need of repair or change, uh, utilities kinds of things, um, because those things, if allowed to, to if, if left alone and not treated, are only going to get worse. But um, I really wish that people would try not to change the Blackhawk Mini Park and Ped Mall too much. It seems as though it's a... Um, sort of a space that people can hardly wait to get their hands on to change. And, you know, I think that the picture that I saw of the proposal, basically it just plain looks cheap, tawdry. It doesn't look like something that a city like Iowa City ought to be contemplating doing to their central downtown spot where people try to meet and... Um, where we try to have nice-looking businesses and you know nice things in downtown, uh, it looks like um, uh, you know carnival decorations that didn't get taken down, basically. And <clears throat> I just really hope you'll rethink that and think more about doing the basic work. And I know that um, the funding for things you know, is is very much put into one pot and then another, and you can't move money easily from one place to another. But it seems to me that we have enough really basic problems, such as the one mentioned by the gentleman who preceded me, that it really is kind of galling to see a lot of money spent doing something that seems to be not only superfluous, um, but... Uh, well, just sort of flea-headed, frankly, um, way to use money. So that's my take on it. Please consider leaving the Blackhawk Mini Park as it is. It's been nice for years and can continue to be nice for years. Thanks. Thanks, Carolyn. Anyone else? Please state your name. My name is Majid. I'm Adil's son. Hi.
high. So when I went to that farm, I got sick there. And but they made me stay in the doctor for at least 10 days. And but the people that are, that own the farm, they should have spent the money on stuff that they don't need cuz there's people that don't have any any food and there's that you should give them stuff that they need. People are sick right now, they're cold. They don't have nowhere to stay. So I might get, start giving them food. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being brave to come up and speak to us. Hi, Nancy. Good evening. I'm Nancy Bird with the Iowa City Downtown District. Um, I first, I wanted to, I've got three points tonight, so I'll try and make them quickly. But first of all, um, congratulations, Mayor and um, Council Member Taylor for your new position and welcome Mazahir. Very excited to have all of you to work with this year. Um, I mentioned to Jeff earlier that uh, we don't always come out and say thank you to the city for all the things you're doing downtown, but in the past several years anyhow, with the new equipment that the city has invested in to help support the cleanliness of downtown, I don't know if anyone's noticing it, but the streets, the sidewalks during the uh, winter season this year are much better. There's more consistent um, shoveling. Not all the businesses always get to it, but most of them do. So it's just helped make a safer environment. So thank you for that and all the work that the city does to help make sure that uh, downtown is well serviced. Um, also, I want to um, express my appreciation that's in the current budget for the evening police officer. It's a part-time position. Um, it's incredibly important, and I think this police officer, similar to the daytime liaison that's worked so well, I think we'll see dividends played there in the evening as well. Those businesses need support um, in, that, in that role, just like during the day. So thank you for that consideration. We hope that stays in the budget. Um, other things I wanted to bring up were um, the downtown district's draft advocacy agenda, and there's um, several things just to bring up to your attention, whether or not you know about them or not, to start tracking. Um, one of them is the state's um, liquor license reform. Um, we have some committees scheduled around that, and we'll be participating in that effort because we think it's going to have a real impact on Iowa City in the future. So that's one. Um, the historic survey that is currently out there, we'll be tracking that and the results and the recommendations made to you. Um, the third is the form-based code for uh, the north side and the Shret. Our businesses are very interested in that and want to participate in that in that process. And then last, I know there's a number of street um, streetscape updates that are planned and they have certain years for when they'll go into place. The one that consistently keeps coming up um, from business owners, especially on the north side, is a two-way conversion of Market Street. So, you know, every time we have these conversations about streetscape, uh, streetscape updates, that one constantly keeps coming together, you know, that's been talked about for years and years. So there's a lot of interest in that as well. Uh, and then last, just on the conversation with the pedestrian mall update, I thought they did a nice job with the presentation. I know that um, this is now coming to fruition, and, and this year and next year for the pedestrian mall update, it's going to be a big deal for downtown, as was the Washington Street update. Um, we, you know, we survived and thrived in that one. We look to do the same this year, so we appreciate the support during that time. Um, and then I think with regard to the number of elements that you're looking at um, related to budget, the programming side, there are certain things that, that need to be there to help support the programming side, and the stage is a critical one. There's so much time and effort and money that goes into lighting and setting those things up that are on the, really on the shoulders of nonprofits to do. If those pieces aren't there, then it's, um, you know, 
money out of their pockets to, to set up. The other one, too, is lighting. And we talk a lot about lighting and what it means. There's multiple layers of lighting in the plan. But the lighting in a, a commercial area, in, this, in the city's living room, so to speak, it really uh, denotes it as a commercial center. And it's so important for retail uh, beyond the community as well. It's, it's a nice setting, and people like it. But it's really important to make sure people recognize it's an active business environment. So um, we'd advocate for those two pieces, especially along with all the other plans. And I think the electrical and the infrastructure are clearly incredibly important. And um, Jeff's right about getting it done right the first time, for sure. But those extra elements are, are really important. So I wanted to bring those up. Um, otherwise, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. And I look forward to working with you all this year. Good. Thanks, Nancy. <laughs> Anyone else? Good evening, Mary. Pardon me. Good evening, Jim. Here we go. Got it. With yesterday, our national holiday to celebrate the remarkable vision of Martin Luther King Jr., I have a quote of his. Sorry, can I interject just a sec? Could you yes. introduce yourself? A I lot will. of us don't know you. Thank you. I will. It's coming up later, but I can do it now. My name is Mary Cohen. Thank you. Hi. With yesterday our national holiday to celebrate the remarkable vision of Martin Luther King Jr., here is one of his quotes. An individual hasn't started living until he or she can rise above the narrow confines of his or her individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. Thank you for your leadership with the Iowa City Council and all of your collective efforts to contribute to the broader concerns of humanity. As I mentioned, my name is Mary Cohen. I'm an associate professor at the University of Iowa in music education. My research area is music making and well-being with a focus of music, of songwriting and collaborative and caring communities. I'm here today to share an important message about leadership, leadership that creates communities of caring. I represent citizens who are currently incarcerated. In fact, the scarf I'm wearing was made by a woman incarcerated in Alaska. I represent restored citizens who have been released from prison, the brave and hopeful individuals who work in prison contexts, and survivors of criminal behavior who seek healing. How can we build communities of care inside and outside prison walls? To what extent are our individual and collective choices creating communities of care? We must choose people-centered and positively charged language. The words we use infuse the actions we choose. We must also love ourselves first. Then we can lead with love more easily and authentically. Music making is a learned skill that has the potential to build communities of care. I encourage all of us to support more opportunities for music making in our schools and our communities. Melanie Damore is a vocal activist based in California, Oakland, California, and she wrote a song called Lead with love. She wrote it the day after the 2016 presidential election in the United States here. Its message encourages us to increase our capacity for hope, 
to look ahead, to build communities of care, to lean on one another and grow our collective responsibility. I have some friends here that are members and supporters of the Oakdale Prison Community Choir. These are the outside singers of the community choir. And we are here to, they're here to help share Melanie Jamore's song with you. And we warmly welcome you to join us. The verses are call and response. It sounds like this. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. You're not alone. You're not alone. Keep, keep your hope. Keep moving on. Keep moving on. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. You're welcome to join us. One foot, you don't have to. And lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Path is there. I know you're scared. I know you're scared. And I'm scared too. But here I am. But here I am. Right next to you. Right next to you. Beautifully done, choir. Thank you. All right. Uh, because yeah. I talk about uh, the items, right? But I can talk about uh, something not in the agenda, right? You can talk about anything that is not in on the, the formal meeting agenda, right? Yeah. I have another issue also regarding uh, worker justice. I know worker justice is run by Mr. Richard, and I know Mr. Richard for 10 years, since the first time Barack Obama uh, elected, we worked together. And I know he ran this agency just like his NFL team. So he, he has the money, he can raise anyone, if he wanna hire anyone, he can do. 
And since yesterday we celebrate with Martin Luther King, the civil right, I want this agency to be heard by the voice of immigrant. Mr. Richard is just feel just like he's a master and we are the slave. I feel that because I went to a couple of times to work with him. This is my feeling towards him. We need this agency to be run by immigrant from up to bottom. We don't want somebody racism to run this agency. Now the immigrant, 75% is Sudanese, nobody feel he is immigrant or he get any benefit from this immigrant. Thank you. Thank you, Adil. Would anyone else like to address this? Seeing no one else, I think we'll move on. Thanks so much for the choir and your performance. Okay, we're going to turn to item 5, planning and zoning matters. Item 5A, rezoning 703 to 709 South Dubuque Street to Riverfront Crossings. This is an ordinance conditionally rezoning approximately 0.48 acres of property from intensive commercial CI1 zone to Riverfront Crossings Central Crossings Subdistrict RFC CX zone located at 703, 705, and 709 South Dubuque Street. I'll open the public hearing. Good evening, Karen. Good evening, Karen Howard from Neighborhood and Development Services. Um, first of all, just a location map here to show the location of the subject properties under rezoning. Um, it's on South Dubuque Street, just uh, south of the Iowa Interstate Railroad um, and the, the historic uh, rail depot on Wright Street. Here's a couple photographs of that property. You can see the existing uh, buildings on the property. And you can see here on the right-hand side of the photograph the historic Rock Island Depot, rail depot. Uh, the property is located in the Riverfront Crossings, Central Crossings Subdistrict. Um, it's currently zoned intensive commercial. It is appropriate to rezone it to Riverfront Crossings and would be consistent with the Riverfront Crossings plan. Um, the plan calls for, as you know, uh, a high density mixed use um, development um, at a, a mid rise uh, in this particular subdistrict of uh, Riverfront Crossings, allows four story buildings. Um, and this is a concept drawing of the proposed building by the applicant. Shows a four-story building with a step back after the third story. It is a multifamily building. There's no commercial proposed on this particular site. 
Uh, here's a footprint of, of that building um, uh, located, as you can see then, south of the tracks, the railroad tracks. This is the location along South Dubuque Street. Um, the University of Iowa owns the parking lot that surrounds the um, surrounds this property. And so you can see how that fit would fit uh, onto the existing property. The riverfront crossings plan um, does show a public open space um, in this location. Originally, when the riverfront crossings plan was adopted, there was quite a bit of discussion about the federal government funding um, with state support, uh, Amtrak service, and our ability to reuse the historic depot for actual rail service into Iowa City between Chicago and Iowa City. Unfortunately, that, that plan fell through, and we're no longer discussing that option is pretty unlikely. Also, to the south, um, there's the, the Crandick rail line also runs along the south side. So um, there was there is something in the plan about the possibility of future light rail service in, in using that uh, rail line. Given that that's, um, there's some question about that as well. And if it does happen, it would be sometime into the future. Um, this station area plan, um, we've been rethinking that, and so it may not be as necessary to have such a big public space in that location. Um, this, uh, just to get oriented, here's Dubuque Street and Clinton Street. It shows the big plaza in between the rail depot and, and the, uh, between the two rail lines. So um, at the Planning and Zoning Commission, um, it was discussed, this, the open space idea. The city owns actually uh, still a vacated uh, alley right away. They used to, uh, there used to be a rear alley like a lot of the blocks here that went north-south, divide the block. That alley was vacated sometime in the past, but the city has still retains ownership of the east 10 feet of that alley right of way. So that alley right of way will be maintained. That proposal then is the building would be set back 10 feet from that. And then in the future, if this property to the west is redeveloped, another 10 or 20 feet um, could be established there. So there would be possibility for um, some future, uh, at least some access through that um, central part of the block in the future. The Planning and Zoning Commission also discussed um, the safety and the noise that might um, occur because of the active rail line to the north. Um, it was dis discussed that a, a fence and some landscaping, additional landscaping, plus some construction techniques be used in the building, um, and the applicant has agreed, agreed to that. Uh, that would keep people from basically running across the rail line and also would help um, buffer, buffer the uh, train traffic from, from the residents. Another discussion point at the Planning and Zoning Commission, um, the Riverfront Crossings Code requires 10 square feet of open, usable shared open space on uh, to serve the residents of the building. Um, the applicant originally proposed um, a, a plaza space on the ground level on the north. This is the north, um, just to be oriented. This is the north side. This would be the rail depot over here, the rail line. Um, on the north side of the property would serve that. Um, there was some concern about that being not very accessible to the residents and whether it would be particularly useful uh, for the residents. Um, 
And so the, the commission requested some additional open space be provided on the property, um, not just this uh, patio on the north side. Uh, the applicant has agreed to, to that as well. Um, this is the fourth floor. As you know, there's a 10-foot step back on the fourth floor, um, or above the third floor, that would create a roof terrace that could be used for shared open space. And the applicant plans a community indoor activity room in this location in the front of the building. And then this roof terrace could be used as, as private open space. Um, the, the commission didn't feel that the 10 feet was enough to really provide a nice shared open space, so requested um, additional open space be provided either on that roof terrace or on the, uh, on the roof of the building itself. So with those two recommendations from the Planning and Zoning Commission, um, they recommend approval uh, with the following conditions. A fence and landscape buffer must be constructed and maintained along the northern boundary of the property in accordance with the landscape plan approved by the form-based code committee, that's through design review. And a minimum of 900 square feet of usable open space must be provided and maintained on the rooftop. I would be happy to answer any questions that you have. Do you folks have any questions for Karen? So Karen, was that <clears throat> roof terrace expanded from what, what we just saw? Is that larger than what was shown to planning and zoning? So the, the rooftop terrace, they would have to redesign it to be wider than the 10 feet in order to meet that 900 square feet. I believe this, uh, the square footage of the roof terrace right now is about 600 square feet. So, th so this hasn't changed. So this, this is what they originally proposed, but um, they have agreed to expand that and make it wider or deeper. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, they're just, they haven't really designed the building and all the units. So uh, the conditional zoning agreement is left fairly open to either have it on the roof itself or to have it to expand this uh, terrace area so it's uh, about 15 feet deep instead of instead of 10. Karen, I believe there were some concerns also about some stormwater drain off or, or how they would deal with that with yeah and I think that would have to be or? dealt with on at site plan review I mean they would have to show that they're managing their stormwater appropriately I don't think we uh, the Commission went into great detail about that but it was mentioned other questions for Karen I think I do I have a couple probably Just put bluntly, I, I don't like the idea of uh, eliminating the station plaza. I understand the rationale having to do with the Amtrak line. But the Crandick line, it's, it's my understanding that there's renewed interest in it. I know that that's true with regard to the Chamber of Commerce. And I think uh, they're trying to build interest up and down the line, so to speak, at least as far north as North Liberty. So when I look at this proposed development, I think um, not only would the station plaza be lost, but I don't see very much uh, public space in that part of the Riverfront Crossings District. So this is a question I want to ask you. Within, say, two or three blocks, I know there's space down south, you know, at the Riverfront Crossings Park, but in the rest of the Riverfront Crossings District, where's the nearest public space that's not open space for use by residents, but public space for use by residents of the city as a whole? 
I don't recall anything in particular in that particular area within a two or three block area that's public open yeah, space. This, this concerns me because we have intentionally increased the density of development in the Riverfront Crossings District for obvious reasons, and I support that have all along. But it, increasing the density requires having usable public space for people to use uh, when they're in the district as a whole. So uh, this worries me. Uh, and my mind's not made up on the specific proposal, but I am expressing a concern I have. Uh, I wonder if I could translate that into any other questions for you. Um, I think I don't. So thank you for presenting the material. Uh, Jim, yeah. following up on your comment. Well, wait, wait, wait. Uh, it could be other people oh. want to speak on, on the topics, and I probably already said too much, but yeah. Anybody else want to ask Karen any questions? No, okay, thank you, Karen. Would anybody else well, I wanted to address? You need to get uh, your ex-party disclosures out. I was gonna see if there were other people who wanted to discuss, make statements in the public hearing. Beginning. I think it just didn't get mentioned on your agenda. Well, I'm just I'm misinterpreting uh, the text, so okay, I'll have to remember this in the future, okay. So I need to ask you whether you are inclined to vote in accordance with the Planning and Zoning Commission's oh, recommendation. I'm, I'm sorry, Mayor, the ex-party disclosures. I'm not talking about the, yeah. No, it's complicated. Oh, if anybody has any um, Right. Yeah. So uh, where is it? Uh, have any of you had any ex, do you need to make any ex-party disclosures about anybody you've talked to about this particular proposed rezoning? No. Yeah, I don't either. So sorry. Yeah. Would anybody else like to address the topic? Good evening. Good evening. I'm Glenn Meisner with MMS Consultants. So I'm here on behalf of the applicant. Um, I don't know the inner workings of uh, all the space that has been required, uh, the 900 square feet that has been asked to be put part of the conditional uh, zoning agreement. Uh, but my client is willing to do so and uh, when we get into site design is where uh, MMS will step in and be more involved with that part of it. But with that, I'm here to answer any questions that the council may have. Okay, thank you. Do you think there's any way to revise your proposal to provide uh, usable public space for people who are not the residents of the development? Um, Just an open indication. Yeah, I, I think with uh, the intent of the development, probably not. I think they've attempted to meet the ordinance and the requirement, so I don't see that probably happening. Okay. okay. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Anyone else? Okay. Now, this is the moment <laughs> where I, I need to ask you if you're inclined to vote in accordance with the Planning and Zoning Commission's recommendation to approve the proposed rezoning. Yes. I see nodding heads. Okay, I, I might not, but I'm gonna vote for it tonight so that you know, any further thinking uh, can take place. All right, so no one else wants to address this topic. Uh, let's see, I'm gonna close the public hearing. All right, could I have a motion, please? Move first consideration. Second. Second. 
by Botchway, seconded by Zahir. Saleh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, discussion? So related to the rail terminal, that won't then affect our ability to do it in the future for Grand Deck Rail Line. Uh, there's the plaza. That won't affect our ability to do that then. Well, there's no plaza. But I know. that yeah. The point is is that you don't anticipate that making that less feasible to do the Grand the Deck. I don't know if that's a good question or not. No, the, the, the plaza itself wouldn't be a functional part of the rail operation. It was more of a public amenity centered around okay. the rail line, either the light rail or the, the fixed rail line, but it wouldn't prevent us from either Amtrak or okay, yeah, that was a light concern. rail. There'd have to be a stop of some kind yeah. okay. down there and at other points along the way. Well, I share your concerns, Jim. Um, you know, the central, the central district, central crossings district is central to riverfront crossings. It's the central sub-area within the overall planning area. And that plaza was the centerpiece of arguably all of riverfront crossings. Uh, so, you know, it's again a situation, and uh, you know, my again my background in in the public realm, designing public realm elements, that's disappeared from the plan. And what that's so that's one thing. And then the, my follow-up to that is I haven't seen. And, you know, an indication of what a re-envisioning of how that might be preserved in some fashion, even with the change with respect to the Amtrak plans. So, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, the land's been purchased. This piece of property has been purchased for a sizable amount of money. So is the project itself um, the issue? No, it's the change to the overall concept for central, the Central Crossings District. Um, plus, I have a little bit of trouble understanding how the interface works with the rail line running through there. This project kind of floats. It's, it has, it's, it's lacking a certain amount of context for me. Um, so I'm not clear on that frontage on the north side how that What's the vision for that? I have a hard time picturing exactly what's going on along the rail line. Um, I thought I thought PNZ's comments were were spot on. Um, that that patio space, in addition to what PNZ said, is north facing, so you're enclosed by buildings. It would be in shadow most of the day, so it's really not. It's usable. <laughs> Uh, in terms of its dimension, but not one a space that would be well used. So I'm, I'm pleased that what came out of that was a acknowledgement of increasing the open space on the property. Um, but I, I really would like us to now take a look at the site plan for this general area and see where we go from here, because I'm, I'm not seeing any indication of that. I'm in, in agreement with, with John, maybe, to, to look at this again, because I also was concerned about the loss of uh, the potential for the rail space there, um, the size of the unit, although it had so many positive things about it. I think the parking, their plan for the parking uh, was a very good plan, better than we've seen in other developments. Um, but uh, speaking of the other developments, north of there, there are a number of new apartment units and south of there going in the different crossings off of Gilbert. We have another uh, large number of units coming into place. and. 
and at what point are we going to reach an oversaturation in that area, and is that what we wanted for the riverfront crossings district, as John is kind of alluding to, uh, to be the residential, and, and are those units um, going to be affordable units, or just, just what is the intent of those units? I just had a lot of questions. Yeah. I guess I look at it um, this way. When, when that plan was developed and that plaza was in there, um, the city didn't own that land. The city and the community made no effort to purchase that land. And so now we, and part of that, if I understood Karen right, is owned by the university. Is that correct, Karen? Yes, it's not. Honest. Yeah. Okay. So um, if you think about all the, and I mean, I've been here since 1977, and I'm not sure that I recall a time that the university has sold any property. Once, once they own property, um, they tend to keep it, and they tend to expand their property holdings, uh, particularly you know, anything adjacent to the campus or anything adjacent to their critical needs. And certainly, they have a lot of those south of Burlington um, in terms of their motor pool and, and other auxiliary office spaces and things like that. So. The idea that we could, the public somehow could have purchased part of that land from the university, I think, is questionable at best. Um, and while I agree, when you look at that rendering from the plan, it's it's beautiful. It's it's nice to have that open space. Um, and I realize that the Riverfront Crossings Park is not adjacent, but it certainly isn't very far away. And it's an incredible uh, community amenity that, that we have put multiple, and will continue to put multiple millions of dollars into. Um, this rezoning fits in exactly to what I think this community envisioned when we went through um, numerous charrettes and public meetings and input to develop riverfront crossings and then finally to develop the, the form-based code for it. Um, so while it's not perfect, um, I think it certainly fits very, very well into what we as a community, through all those public uh, charrettes and, and all the public meetings for the form-based code um, have really laid out. Um, again, I agree that the loss of that plaza area is unfortunate. Um, I question whether it ever would have come to fruition given uh, some of the ownership of that land. So um, I will support this. I'm glad they've made some adjustments or willing to do, make some adjustments in terms of that open space. I agree the questionable on the usability of that North Plaza. Um, but I think there's certainly a lot more potential. I, I'm not concerned about saturation of residential units and riverfront crossings. I mean, that's what we planned for. Uh, when we rezoned it, uh, that was the whole idea, that it was going to be higher density. Um, it, it already has the affordable housing component to it based on that rezoning. We required that because of the upzoning. Um, we can't sit here and ask the question, nor should we, of who's going to live in these units. Um, that's quite frankly not our business as, as city government. Um, certain number will be affordable housing based on, on the zoning, and uh, whoever lives in those or any other units, quite frankly, is, is nobody's business. And I, I 
get a little frustrated sometimes when that question keeps being brought up at the council. Well, gee, I wonder who's going to live in these units. It, it's our business to work on that affordable housing piece. Um, it's our business if we are giving TIF dollars in terms of how much we're giving and, and maybe the cost of those units and what that means. But beyond that, it's not our business, whether it's students or whether it's young professionals or whether it's a teacher or a firefighter. And I think we have to be cautious about continuing to ask that kind of question because I don't think it's appropriate. And I think our attorney would tell us the same thing. Well, I mean, I don't want to speak for Eleanor. I, I, I do think it's appropriate. I mean, I think that, you know, Mr. Tyson gave a, an interesting um, speech in relation to affordable housing in our community comment. And, you know, I, I, I do think that, you know, when we're talking about, I agree with the minutia around, you know, particularly who's living where, but let me, let's, let's be honest. I mean, that is a conversation that we have to have. And if we don't have, we, we end up with the, the serious, I mean, for lack of a better word, segregation issues that we have in this community. And so while I don't necessarily know that it's germane to this particular proposal, I, I don't want us to lose sight of it in asking that question with every particular proposal, like I've done previously in regards to affordable housing, because I do think it's important to consider. I think you're missing the nuance of what I said. Oh, possibly. Moving because on. affordable housing, yes, is important. But beyond whether it's affordable housing or not affordable housing, it's not our business as a council as to who lives in the property. Affordability, yes. Who lives in the housing, none of our business. Okay. That's my point. Okay. Um, so I would I would agree with John. I'm a little I'm, I'm left a little wanting with what was proposed. Uh, I think there are some elements here that could have been more streamlined based on the plan. Um, you know I do agree with Susan in the sense that you know there's it is a purchased property. I, I, I don't there's a well I want more. I, I think that there's you know this is in fitting with what we we want or desire within this particular framework in the um, in the riverfront crossings area. Uh, I am I am I am interested, excuse me, in you know some of Jim's questions and what that may come back and if there's some changes that could be made. I, I would be interested in that. And so, as somebody who's agreeing and possibly wanting to see that, if you could take that back as a representative, I would be interested in seeing what changes could be made from that perspective. Um, you know, again, in the I think Rockney's first question for me really solidified my first my my biggest point in contention was the railway. And so, if it isn't going, to, I understand the the implications of the plaza. If it isn't going to take uh, a significant change in the railway um, piece away from us, then we can still have that conversation later on in conjunction with other communities. I I feel a little bit differently um, as far as you know wanting to move forward in this particular property. And so, I'll be supportive of this and. Uh, Excited about again, you know, developing this area. I think this is what we planned, and so uh, I, I'm interested in, in wanting to see more from development, but also some of the questions that Jim has raised as well. I, I just I need to clarify because we're now talking about answering questions in the future and and some future approval authority. It, this is where you exercise discretion at the rezoning stage. You don't have approval of that of the site plan, et cetera. So I just want to make sure you're clear about that. And I guess I'll go ahead and jump in and indicate that I am going to support this. I think open space is a critical factor that we really need to look at. But I think to Susan's point, while 
the millions that we're going to put in the Riverside, in the um, Riverfront Crossings Park doesn't satisfy all the, you know, the open space needs. It is such a huge park in relative close proximity to this development. Um, I, I think that will adequately satisfy people's needs for that. While I would have liked to keep the plaza, it doesn't seem to be um, sufficient at this point. So I'm comfortable with the project. I think it's a nice, well-designed um, project. And I think, um, you know, as I look at this particular area, I sort of channel Jane Jacobs a little bit and think that I think a lot of the activity here is going to be along the sidewalk and the street. I think there may be some street festivals where they'll close things off. But that's sort of where I anticipate in terms of the social sphere really being in the, in the sidewalk, not necessarily, you know, squirreling away a, a tiny little plaza that people aren't necessarily going to use. I may be wrong on that, but I think that the park itself will satisfy the open space needs. Mayor, may I make a, a couple of comments regarding the sure. just how the plaza might function with rail? And Karen, if I could have you flip a couple slides for me and maybe go back to your um, uh, first slide, actually, uh, right, right, oh, right there. If you can notice, um, just the footprint of this building goes roughly into the middle of the depot property itself. So I just want to give you some context on how big this open space would be. If you go to the next one, the master plan slide, Karen, you can see that part of the intent of the plaza was to frame the entire um, uh, depot structure itself. So. The question kind of before is if we wanted to force the dedication of this right away, if you will, this green space, you're really cutting their building in, in half, the, the, the developable portion of their building in half. So at a staff level, given the state of where the rail conversations were, we had a hard time justifying telling the property owner that you could only develop that half of your property and the, the back half. That's That's one complication. Uh, and I want to just talk a little bit about the functionality um, of this plaza should we get uh, rail in the future. And I, I spent my first couple of years here working hard on the Amtrak to try to bring Amtrak here and was involved in a lot of, of the conversations at, at the state level and with the DOT on what that might look like. And a couple of things I want to point out to you. One, there was question, I think there still is question whether the historic depot is um, large enough and whether that site is large enough to really adequately accommodate uh, a passenger rail station. Uh, if, if Amtrak particularly is going to be successful, um, we would quickly outgrow that station and, our, and find ourselves um, in a very difficult uh, situation because there's really no room for expansion around that. Plus, it's a historic facility, so it's not really a, a teardown uh, and rebuild type of situation. So we spent a lot of the time uh, towards the tail end of that discussion is exploring uh, possibly having to put the rail station on the south part of the tracks, which would in and of itself end the, the plaza discussion as well, or at least force us to, to re, uh, rethink about how we um, would design that space with any type of outdoor area. But if you put that aside and if, if the rail station were to stay north, um, the the whole dynamics of this uh, of this corridor change dramatically. Um, one, you, the the rail line if it's activated for passenger rail, you'd never be able to get uh, within a you know a stone's throw, if you will, of the rail line. They will put a fence up right through the middle of that plaza. Um, 
and they would keep people out. There would never be an at-grade crossing at the station. They would never allow a, a pedestrian-grade crossing at the station like that. You'd probably have some sort of elevated um, platform um, as well. So, so that you kind of shows you a visual, a, a visual connection from the plaza across to the rail station. It just wouldn't wouldn't happen uh, with with the station there, and probably, um, and there was some some talk about uh, actually having to close either Dubuque or Clinton completely to accommodate those trains. Um, uh, if if you didn't, if we were able to keep uh, both of those streets open, um, then there would certainly be very heavy pedestrian protections at each of those intersections because this stretch isn't long enough to contain a rail car. The rail cars would have to spill out on either side of, uh, of those intersections. So um, the free flow of people from the south to north is what I'm trying to say wouldn't, wouldn't really happen as maybe the design anticipates here. Certainly it works a lot better if you think of the Crandic line and the, and the, the light rail line. There's going to be less restrictions on, on a lot light rail type of facility. But I wanted to point those few things out to you um, and it, just as you, as you consider your um, uh, your vote on this item. It's difficult to move past this concept plan, but I, I really question the viability of this plan should we get the rail. I think things are going to look completely different. And frankly, I think we'd, we'd really have to work hard with the university probably to um, uh, somehow develop <coughs> their property for the rail station proper, I think, in order to really serve the, the Amtrak ridership that we would see. Okay, any other discussion? Very none, roll call, please. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Sully? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Rod Morton? Yes. Hotchway? Yes. Motion carries 7 0. Item 5B rezoning sensitive areas plan for Lincoln School. This is an ordinance rezoning approximately 3.6 acres of property from Neighborhood Public P1 to Plan Development Overlaid Neighborhood Public OPD P1 Zone located at 300 Teeters Court. This is second consideration. Uh, Kingsley is going to have to recuse himself from this particular vote. Move second consideration. Uh, do I need to ask about uh, ex parte disclosures? Anybody need to report anything about this? No, I don't either. Okay. So motion, please. Move second consideration. Second. Moved by Mem, seconded by Thomas. Discussion? As I said, when we first considered this, I'm, I'm very supportive of this. Uh, it, since we supported the DO bond, it, it just makes sense that we would be supportive of this change. Um, neighborhood schools are an, an integral part of our community. Uh, it also allows for the AD accessibility and just has many positive things. I'm very much in favor of it. For me, I'm very excited about this project. Um, can't wait to see Lincoln Elementary School being the king. My kids go there, and I know this is really important project for the children there. Thanks. I'm in favor of it. Any other discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Mims? Yes. Salih? Salih? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Doug Martin? Yes. Cole. Motion carries 6-0. Item six, Kingsley. Hmm. Item six, Iowa City public housing roofing and siding replacement. 
This is a resolution approving plans, specifications, form of agreement, and estimate of cost for the construction of the Iowa City Public Housing Roofing and Siding Replacement Project, establishing amount of bid security to accompany each bid, directing city clerk to post notice to bidders, and fixing time and place for receipt of bids. I'll open the public hearing. I don't see anybody who wants to speak. I'll close the public hearing. Could I have a motion, please? So moved. Second. Moved by Botchway, seconded by Taylor. Discussion? I, I kind of see this item as a no-brainer. Um, we don't have any control sometimes over Mother Nature, and I know uh, during that hailstorm, many, many homes, uh, on this, particularly for some reason on the southeast side of Iowa City, some of the other parts of town were spared, but uh, I just uh, think we have to support this. Further discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Batchway? Yes. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Sully? Yes. Motion carries 7-0. Item 7, theme semester joint declaration. This is a resolution declaring the city's support of and participation in the University of Iowa's Climate for Change Sustainability theme semester. Move for resolution. Second. Moved by Botchway, seconded by Thomas. Discussion. So, you know, what I think uh, we should do is have either me or someone else on the council read the joint declaration. And what I'd like to do is invite uh, one of our council members to do that. I was thinking Rockney. I'd be happy to. Yeah, okay. And then I know Dave Gould, is Dave still in the audience? Dave and uh, Linda are out there. And so before we vote, I would like to ask you to, you know, say a few words if you'd like. Iowa City and the University of Iowa jointly recognize that our efforts to inhabit and develop the university and the city must meet the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their needs. This requires that we must take actions that will simultaneously produce and sustain a healthy environment, ensure economic vitality, and enable that vitality to be shared equitably. Achieving this kind of sustainability requires knowledge about the relationship between humans and the natural world, especially about the effects of human actions on global and regional climates, and commitment to ensuring that costs, risks, and the benefits of human actions are shared equitably. We therefore jointly call upon students, faculty, and staff at the university, as well as the businesses and people of Iowa City, to commit their intellect, creativity, and practical skills towards considering how we, the university, and the city can ensure that our community and university develop sustainably for all of us both now and in the future. In the spirit of this call, we jointly commit the university's theme semester to a local project that will tie together various elements along the Iowa River Corridor in Iowa City, from Water Prairie Park in the north to Terry Trueblood Park in the south. This project will acknowledge and celebrate the 
various historical factors that have shaped current human use along the river, respond creatively to challenges and opportunities in specific locations along the river, adapt to changes in the region's climate by making the areas adjacent to the river more resilient to future flooding, and use the river as a catalyst for future community and economic development that exemplify and fulfill the sustainability values and principles we jointly hold in high regard. Thanks so much, Rockney. Linda, Dave, either one of you want to speak? Both of you? Please, please state your name and, sure. you know, yeah. Uh, Linda Snetzlar, I am the Associate Provost of Outreach and Engagement uh, at the University of Iowa. And um, my feeling is that this uh, joint resolution is something that is totally a win-win for our university, but also for the city. Um, it's something that um, our president is totally behind. And thank you, uh, Mayor, for um, identifying uh, the idea. And one of the things that I think is incredibly important is that our students at the university learn best when they're actively involved in projects. And so something like this is incredibly important to critical thinking. Um, it's also very important, I think, to um, eventually being able to apply for and work in jobs that um, will allow them to look at various sides to an issue. And so being involved in community is one of the greatest learning experiences we can offer our students. And thank you so much, Mayor. Thank you, Linda. I think Linda said it very well. My name is Dave Gould. I'm also in the Office of Outreach and Engagement. And I had the pleasure of sitting in on the meetings between the mayor and the president. And I just want to say it was a very proud moment for me. I've spent uh, 30 years living in this community uh, with really two communities, uh, both the university and Iowa City. And um, the idea of the university using its mission of education to serve the city and to, uh, to collaborate on something that's meaningful for all of us, I think, is a very noble pursuit. So I'm uh, great, very grateful for this and hope it's the first of many. Thanks, Dave. And Linda and Dave, uh, please share uh, our thanks to President Harold for working with us on this proposal and uh, the initiative. And we're pleased to be able to work with the university uh, during the remainder of the semester. Yeah. Ashley, we had a question earlier with, uh, in our work session about other th uh, theme semesters, what they were. So Ashley's going to tell us what she knows. And if, if, if you know more, please feel free to elaborate. It's just as simple as I, I did a quick search to just to give you a background about the theme semester. Uh, it started, I guess the idea came about in 2014. The spring semester of 2015 had a food for thought uh, academic here uh, concept. Uh, the spring 2016 was a just living, so exploring social justice activities. And last year's spring activity was our lives online. So thinking about global system of connectedness, networks, um, the future of technology, so. Great, thanks. Makes me wonder what's next. All right, uh, any discussion among council members? 
I just had a quick point. I think sure. we've got a joint entities meeting coming up. Could yeah. this set looks like something I would think we might bring up so that the whole community, board of supervisors, et cetera, would know sure. what we're doing? Sure. Could add it to the agenda. No further discussion? Roll call, please. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Batchway? Yes. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Salee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Motion carries seven to zero. Thanks. Item eight, assessment schedule. This is a resolution adopting an amendment schedule of unpaid mowing. I'm sorry, an assessment schedule of unpaid mowing, cleanup of property, snow removal, sidewalk repair, and stop box repair charges, and directing the clerk to certify the same to the Johnson County Treasurer for collection in the same manner as property taxes. Move the resolution. Second. Moved by Mem, seconded by Botchway. Discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Throgmorton? Yes. Botchway? Yes. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Sully? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Motion carries 7-0. Item 9, council appointments. So we are going to make appointments to, I think, four separate boards or commissions. We have to decide who to appoint. Let's do the Airport Zoning Commission first. We actually have two vacancies and two applicants to fill those uh, six-year terms. The applicants are Dennis Keitel and Matthew Walford. Walford's currently serving uh, the, his first term. Correct. One of those needs to be a female, though, so you'll have to defer one of those. I think the, the gender balance requirement is through if you go to the second sheet. Oh, I got you. It's yeah. the right. first one. Yeah, yeah, thanks, yeah thanks for clarifying that for me. Okay, so um, we're going to have to defer one of the appointments, but we can do the other appointment, right? And it doesn't matter which other appointment we do. Okay, so... Well, it should, well, it should be the, the full term that you appoint to that has no requirement. Okay, so the full term... Dun, 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 dun. Well, I don't know. The older one, the 16 through 21. 16. Oh, okay. So that's the one we would appoint to? 9D. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so do you have a preference, folks, about Dennis Keitel or Matthew Walford? So help me again. We, we don't normally re-up after a first term, or is it after a second term? After a second. So I'm going to nominate Matthew Walford. Um, and I'll say my reason. Um, uh, mainly it's just because we've heard some comments, uh, I believe it was related to um, the property off Gilbert, um, Southgate Development, um, and he particularly mentioned that he lives off the approach of one of the runways, and that's just been something that's been considerably mentioned. Um, so th that's, that's why I made my decision compared to the other applicant. Any objection? No. Nope. I agree. Okay, so we'll appoint Matthew Walford to that um, that term, the one that. Yeah, yeah. Item nine, whichever it is, nine D. Oh. So then, to clarify that, if if there are no female applicants by March, after March, 5th. then we could consider. Correct. Okay. Okay. All right. The next is uh, the Board of Adjustment. 
We have two applicants to fill a five-year term, Ryan Hall and Dennis Keitel. Uh, do, have we resolved the question pertaining to Ryan? Yeah, okay. So, as far as well, we, we passed the, the deadline for there being any kind no of gender requirement. Uh, right. There's so. no balance. Okay, so it becomes moot. Um, okay. So, do you have a preference, folks, about Ryan Hall or Dennis Keitel? I would nominate Ryan Hall. Me too. I can that nomination. I'd support that. Okay, so it looks like Ryan Hall. Recuse. Oh, just to note that uh, Rockney recused, right, yep. from, from that vote? Well, we haven't really voted yet, have we? Yeah, when we get to it. So maybe uh, should I, we, do, we should do that separately. Separate. Why don't you right? do them separately? Then? Okay, so yeah. let's do a vote on uh, 9D. Could I have a motion to appoint Matthew Walford to the Airport Zoning Commission? So moved. A move by Cole, seconded by? Second. Sorry. All in, uh, no, we need a, all in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. All right, Board of Adjustment. Uh, could I have a motion to appoint Ryan Hall to the Board of Adjustment? So move. Move. Moved by Botchway, seconded by Soleil. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. Mike, no, that's a 6-0 because yeah, correct. I correct. correct, thank you. Uh, Cole, uh, recusing. All right, the next is a Community, po uh, community Police Review Board. We have one vacancy to fill an unexpired term. We received six applications. I think we have a female requirement on this. There are three females who have applied, Sharon McDonald, Royce Ann Porter, and Claire Rose. No, Kristen Johnson, Johnson also, so there are four. Do you have a preference? I would support Royce Ann Porter on this. I would too. She has a lot of community involvement with this, including uh, already a good, great relationship. I've seen her relate to some members of the police force, um, and so I think she would be excellent with this. Um, she has a good understanding of the board itself and what its duties are, and I would support her strongly. Yeah, normally I wouldn't. Um, normally. I've had this conversation with Roseanne, so I'm be able to speak this out. But normally, I wouldn't necessarily be as for an applicant that has already served on the committee, just because of how, what we've talked about before. Um, but again, this is something that was supported by the Black Voices Project, is uh, in particular wanting Roseanne to um, be a part of this. And again, you know, um, and highlighted in many of the festivities that I think some of you are at. You know, there there is a considerable amount of work that's being done with our police department. Um, having Roseanne being a, a conduit and person on this particular commission, I think, is going to be very important as we move forward in this work. Well, plus it's a non-consecutive term. I mean, isn't that also sort of an issue for us? And I, I know for me that's huge. So I think it's sort of the best of both worlds is that we're getting some experience, but it's a non-consecutive appointment. And I also think now, with the previous experience that she's had, I think in terms of policy proposals that she can really make on this to move that board forward and make it even better, I think it's a great time to have her as a, as a board member there. Yes, I agree. All good points. Yeah, just to, for clarification, Royce Ann served one previous term, right? And But my recollection is that she came off the board two or three years ago. She's been off for, for a while now. Yeah. Um, on the board with I'd me. I'd say at least for probably a four-year term, I think. It's a little bit, no, less a little bit less than that. Less than that. Less. Yeah. I, I'm not going to support Roysanne. I, I go back to, and it, I mean, no, absolutely no disrespect to Roysanne at all. But when I think back about all the discussions we've had over the last couple of years about giving different people, new people, an opportunity um, to serve on boards and commissions, and um, 
and we have other people who have shown an interest, and I think some of these people have shown repeated interest in, in different commissions. Um, to me, this is, is going against that, and I realize it's not consecutive terms, but still, one of the things I, I asked Kelly about uh, during the break tonight, and, and I, I'm going to look at it in more depth, and, and certainly no one council member dictate, dictates to any of our appointees, but I'm really interested in, in seeing if we can somehow establish a database of people who have served on the various boards and commissions and what boards or commissions and over what time periods. Um, because I think that's really important as we look at who, as we're appointing people, you know, that we're not just, people are going from one commission to another and, and we're not really getting that turnover and giving other people um, within the community an opportunity. Um, I don't have any strong feelings about any of the other three women, but again, I think it's that issue of giving other people that kind of opportunity um, you know, when when other people have already served. Um, and I, I went back also and looked at attendance, and quite frankly, there's attendance issues from prior service, which concerns me. So, so I think having that kind of database would be useful. How far back do you think it should go? Kelly and I had a little bit of conversation, and I, I mean, I know staff's really busy, and like she said, it wouldn't be very hard moving forward. It would be harder going back in terms of the time commitment, in terms of generating all that data, but... Um, Five years? Yeah, I mean, we'll, just, we'll have to see. I'll, I'll talk with her some more and with Jeff and stuff, too, and maybe see what looks reasonable and come back with a proposal for, for council I, or something. I, I think as long as there's a reasonable, reasonable time frame in mind, it'd be useful to have that kind of information, sure. I'm just sensitive to how long it would take staff yeah, sure. time commitment to doing it as sure. well. So. I just think with that, we have to be cautious of, of a double standard that sometimes we have done just uh, earlier when we um, uh, did appointments. Um, uh, to the assessors commission. So we reappointed those same folks again. Yeah. There's some commissions that are a challenge. Some, some sure. are a challenge, but we can't, I don't think we can have that double standard of one commission versus another. And and uh, you'd mentioned that, Susan, you said it uh, quite plainly, uh, that you know some, some of those other women that applied are uh, interested in two or three other commissions. So what is I their true interest in, in the one commission? Is, oh, is I think concern. we have lots of people that have applied for multiple commissions. And, and as I said to John earlier when we were talking about it, I think we as a council have forced that with the way we do the applications now. Because it used to be that people applied whenever we had an opening. So we were doing this at almost every meeting or mm -hmm. every month or every other month, at, <coughs> at least every other month, we were making appointments. We as a council made a distinct decision that we were spending so much time appointing people that we were, I can't remember, did we move this to once a year, theoretically? Twice a once. year, okay. To doing it only twice a year um, if we didn't have these odd vacancies that came up because of people resigning. So when people know that they only have the opportunity twice a year, then they don't necessarily, they may not realize when they're applying what's going to be open and when it's going to come. So I believe that we have basically forced this on to the applicants to indicate an interest in more than one board or commission 
um, because you don't really know for sure when somebody might resign or exactly what's going to come up. So I don't think it's fair to hold it against somebody because they've indicated an interest in more than one border commission. Yeah, I, I agree in principle with what you're saying. I think in this case, uh, and it was reaffirmed by what Kingsley mentioned, that Roy San has support for this also in the community that's affected by this commission. So I think, all, you know, in general, I would certainly always lean towards someone who hasn't served on commissions over those who have. But in this particular instance, I think there's a pretty strong case. Mm -hmm. Okay, I hear support for Royce Ann Porter. It's not unanimous, but I hear support. Uh, um, all in favor say, uh, well, do we have a motion on the floor? So moved. Yeah. Second. Moved by Botchway, seconded by Soleil. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. Motion carries six to one. Well, motion carries, members in the negative. All right, uh, do the Public Art Advisory Committee. Um, Nancy Purrington, it was um, when we went, in fact, we went through this one not too long ago. I'm not quite sure That's right. how this um, came up after what Susan was just mentioning, but in any event, um, she's someone I know personally, is also very passionate about public art and has been engaged in the artist, in the community of artists in Iowa City for some time. I, I don't, go ahead. I don't necessarily have it, maybe a disagreement with it. I, I was just going to throw out Stephen Miller. Um, the reason why was um, a particular conversation um, at the CLP where I specifically told everybody, you know, hey, apply to commissions, get out there. Um, he's reached out to me via email stating that that was one of the reasons. And I think he also mentioned it in, within his um, his application as well. And so that's why I'm supporting him because I, I specifically said to a group of people, we need more people on commissions and, and he applied. And also he has the background um, related to, you know, public, um, public art professionals. I think the other lady you mentioned as well does as well. I'd see a gender issue here as well. I mean, we've got four women, yeah, four, women. four women, and so I'm, given that we have a number of very qualified people, I would go with Stephen Miller as well. Right, even yeah. though there's no gender balance, you're right, there's you know, four female, no male. Can I, just one male, I believe. I want to make a pitch for Nancy. Um, gender is obviously a super important issue, but I, I think in terms of ideas, um, I'm sure that all these other candidates have great ideas, but I have not heard anyone speak more, more articulately, if that's a word, about the need for downtown gallery space. Um, so I really imagine her being a critical advocate for some things that all of a sudden, you know, we may see one day, whether it's in the library or another location, and that will happen, I think, because of her advocacy. Um, um, so, and I think coupled that, she has sort of a longitudinal history of where the um, public art uh, committee was, you know, in the 90s, you know, in terms of the, the budget piece of it, you know, and her advocacy. So I think she's really going to be critical to, to move this particular board forward. So I'm supporting Nancy. I believe she said she served on the first, very first public advisory. That, so, I mean, just to have that institutional history, I think, will be critical. So I got at least two votes for Nancy. Do we have Mazi here or Jim? Uh, well, I think Nancy <laughs> and Andrea, for that matter, would be very strong candidates, are very strong candidates. They'd both be wonderful appointments. Uh, you know, I've got, yeah. I've got a little date, and Kelly and I were just talking about this. It says, after date above, council may appoint without regard to gender. But what that does, that 90-day period, it, it allows you to appoint when you don't have the correct gender to fill it. 
and we've got a male here, so I'm not. I'm not. So we have a qualified male. We who have could a qualified it, right? male as we're looking at the appointment. So. I think that's a gender balance requirement then. Yeah. Well, I, I, I want to support Stephen Miller as well, despite the quality of uh, Nancy Purrington as a candidate and the work she does and that kind of thing. So I think we have four in favor of Steve Miller. Uh, could I have a motion, please? So moved. Second. Moved by Botchway, seconded by Mims. All in favor of appointing Stephen Miller, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries unanimously okay I need to read these other um, vacancies don't I that uh, that involve you know the, the vacancies that will be there forever still have to read them right? you don't have to read I wouldn't them. leave that comment out there it's not hopeful Jim come on well I'm not hopeful maybe they're listening tonight Jim you really yeah, I mean you're not required to read well I'm going to do it anyhow so uh, we have two vacancies to fill five year terms on the airport zoning board of adjustment I should read the other one with regard to Airport Zoning Commission. We have one vacancy to fill a six-year term on the Airport Zoning Commission. That was the one with the gender balance requirement. And we have one vacancy to fill a five-year term on the Board of Appeals. One vacancy to fill a three-year term as Jefferson Street representative on the Historic Preservation Commission. And one vacancy to fill a three-year term on the Telecommunications Commission. And I should say I'm much more optimistic about filling that one. Those people. And those must be, uh, they, oh, what's it say here? I don't know when applications for those positions are due. Application. I think it's the February 13th. Sure. Senior centers February 15th. 13th, and then the civil Yeah, I know they March. are, but I mean the ones oh, I just read. Oh, as far as the ones we need to re-advertise? Yeah. Um, those would be February 13th, deadline. Oh, well, applications reading. for those positions must be received by Tuesday, February 13th, not later than 5 p.m. All right, announcements for new vacancies or other vacancies. Uh, we have previously announced that there's one vacancy to fill a three-year term on the Senior Center Commission, and application applications for that position must be received by 5 p.m. Tuesday, February 13th. And we have a new announcement having to do with one vacancy to fill a four-year term on the Civil Service Commission. Applications for that position must be received by 5 p.m. Tuesday, March 13. Can I just ask one question related to these? At one point, I believe staff was going to go back and look and see if we could get rid of that Jefferson Street Historic Preservation, because weren't we? Or we, we can't get well, rid of we, it? We, can, we cannot. The we, state code says if, okay. you, if you have a district, one of the rep, one of okay. the okay. Okay. So members it. has to be a representative okay. of each district. I'm I remember glad, we had that discussion. Yeah. I could, yeah. Okay. I'm glad Thank Susan you. brought that up, because I wondered hmm. that, too. Uh, does the person actually have to live on Jefferson Street, or can in the it be district. like in the, in the district? So anywhere in that area. In the Jefferson Street district. But there's Street not district. It's a much residential within that district. In that district. So that's why we've never been able to get out anybody. there, and we have to hmm. keep going over and yeah. over it. Yeah. Maybe somebody will move in. Maybe. Hopefully. OK. Item 11, community comment. Ben, did you want to say a few words? And to repeat what was said earlier, welcome back. It's a new semester. Hmm. Yeah, I had a great break. I hope you all did too. I saw, like I said earlier, I saw six city halls 
and two state capitals, and I went to an NHL game and an NFL game. Um, but that's besides the point. Yeah, students are back, so Iowa City is thriving again. Um, we know you all missed us. Um, unfortunately, I had an 8.30. The local schools were two-hour delay. University wasn't. If you guys know anybody who works with the university, let me know. Um, but I think the biggest update from UISG, anyway, is that uh, the legislative session in Des Moines really is getting underway, and so our legislative agenda advocacy um, is uh, kind of going full throttle. We've been working with UNI and Iowa State to get through medical amnesty legislation. Um, it'll it was passed unanimously last last session um, through the Senate, 49 nothing. There was one absence, um, so we're working on getting it through the House, and it'll be going to subcommittee bright and early tomorrow, so I'm excited to see how that conversation comes. Um, other things on our agenda, as always, are um, appropriations and the cost of school for um, our university students, both in-state and out-of-state, um, making sure that it's as affordable and predictable as possible. Um, and then uh, one of the other big things uh, we have going on is working to get a tax incentive for uh, for the, from the state um, so that local employers can, uh, I think, I can't recall the specific language that we have um, after all the city liaison, not the state liaison. Um, but it, it allows employers to like kind of tax-free pay off uh, as, as student student debt. So it, it encourages that Iowa's best and brightest to stay in the state, um, making sure that we retain the bright, intelligent people that we produce um, at our universities um, while also helping the student debt crisis. So that's kind of what we got going on, and I'm excited for the rest of the semester. And in Terry Dickens fashion, I only have six meetings left. As <laughs> city Thank you. Well, it makes us sad. Yeah. Then, but then there's Gustav enjoy. waiting in the wings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Item 12, city council information. Uh, where are we going to start? Let me think. I didn't write notes about that. Yeah, here we go. Start. We're going to start with John. John, move to the right. Okay. A um, couple of things. One was Jim and Pauline and I all three attended... Uh, at Kirkwood Community College uh, with what was referred to as a deliberative dialogue training. Uh, and it's part of Kirkwood's democracy commitment. And just briefly, what that means is it's a national initiative engaging community college students in civic learning and democratic practice. Its goal is to have every community college graduate have an education in democracy. It was really a pretty fascinating experience and a new way of, actually it wasn't so new for me, I realized most of my professional work was about deliberative dialogue. <laughs> Didn't know there was such a word for it. But um, And they are going to be planning, looking forward, a, um, uh, an economic inequality summit in early April. So that's something to look forward to and see how that, you know, how that plays out. But. Um, I had a great time, and I thought it was a really interesting way of thinking about how we arrive at decisions on matters that are complex, and that deliberative dialogue can really help mm -hmm. with that process. 
Um, I just want to thank everybody for all the work they did for the Martin Luther King um, events yesterday. Um, great day at Grant Wood with lots of people and lots of activities, and particularly the town hall meeting. Um, I think Jim, I know Jim and John and Pauline and I were all there during the town hall. I'm not sure if, if other people were still there, but good discussion. Um, I think it's very indicative. Um, my husband and I were having this conversation last night, very indicative that if you look back to uh, the civil rights movement of the 60s um, and then start yourself into the early 70s, um, while there's certainly been improvements, um, nowhere's near enough, uh, whether it's in terms of um, educational disparities, socioeconomic disparities, um, incarceration disparities, um, you know, there's there's still a lot of work to do, way way too much work to do. But I, I think the town hall was was an interesting start. Um, I think the point of that is really trying to increase uh, the dialogue um, dialogues that we have within the community and between um, different members of the community and trying to. Um, it's not necessarily fixing it all at once, but finding small and incremental ways as well as big and bold ways that um, that we can make improvements. And I think that's really important. And again, I just want to really say thank you to all the people um, involved in organizing and volunteering um, for the events yesterday. It was, was really good. Um, certainly a number of things on our calendar. We've got an economic forecast um, luncheon tomorrow in Cedar Rapids. I know a number of council members are going to that. Um, we have... Um, there's an open house coming up at the free medical clinic. Uh, boy, I just wrote it down, but I'm not sure when that is. But that's in our packet. 26th. Friday, 26th. Yeah. So just encourage people to make sure that uh, they're looking at those events. It's been nice to start seeing some other council members at some of these events as well. And um, we'll just keep moving forward. New year. Good deal. Following. It's been a very busy last few weeks. Uh, John and, and Susan have mentioned some of the items. You certainly can't say that Iowa City shuts down during inclement weather. Uh, I, I was very pleased to, and I know many of the others in the group attended the uh, new fireman pinning for um, Firefighter Parker. Uh, it was uh, great to see him, uh, young and enthusiastic about uh, joining the city crew. And, and it was such a, it's such a wonderful ceremony, this tradition. The chief had talked about it being traditional. It's not like we just hire these folks and they start work. They, they go through this uh, very formal uh, ceremony, which was, which was really wonderful. Um, and let's see, oh, many of you also were at the um, STEAM mural event, the unveiling of that at the uh, Robert A. Lee uh, Rec Center. Uh, it truly is beautiful. It, it, it exceeded my expectations of what it would look like. It was ju just amazing. Uh, and uh, the uh, how it was created by a, a team of so many different folks to, to put it all together. It's truly amazing, and folks should try to go see that if they haven't. Um, on the 9th of this month, I did uh, attend uh, the Iowa City Community School District board meeting because on their agenda were boundary issues uh, because they are, again, uh, talking about those because they uh, mentioned the fact that uh, the, the um, district is growing by leaps and bounds, particularly the North Liberty area. So they have, they encourage people to look at their web page um, uh, because they're going to have maps posted on there of the different boundaries, and I believe their deadline is by March. March 1st, maybe um, Kingsley knows the date on that, that they have to have a plan in place. So they're encouraging people to come to their meetings and, and look at their, their website. Um, let's see. Uh, da -da. 
uh, the free medical clinic, um, and that's a, a cooperation with the College of Nursing, which I think that's a really great thing that a, a community organization is partnering with the college and the university, which kind of goes along with our strategic plan of uh, working together with the uh, educational institutions. Um, on um, Let's see. Wednesday, January 24th, um, there is going to be a film screening and discussion of a film called At the River I Stand from 6.30 till 8 at the IMU Illinois Room. Uh, co-sponsored by the UI Labor Center. It uh, kind of, uh, it's a documentary relating to uh, two months in 1968, um, leading to the death of Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, the UI Center for Human Rights uh, is also uh, sponsoring that. So that sounds like a good event. And let's see. That, that's it. <laughs> Uh, so I would uh, concur with Pauline on the STEAM mural. I wasn't able to be at the event. Um, but I will say this, so I'm glad you posted the picture, but one, you got to work really hard to move that windmill. <laughs> I was trying to spin it, and it was taking me some time while another person was on the bench laughing at me, also laughing at me because, you know, the video that plays within the little house there, and it's not big enough for me. So I just want to make sure that's out, that's out there as the thing. I understand that it's for our kiddos. Um, Susan already mentioned it as far as uh, thank you, but I want to just say, uh, a special thank you for Rakesha Harrington. She did a good job. I was on a number of emails in relation to planning the event and, and doing some of that work. There were other people that were a part of that committee that were wearing T-shirts on that particular day as well. I was not able to be a part of that conversation, but I, I was in the prior one on Saturday, and there will be another one, a community roundtable, on January 22nd from at beginning at 630 at Old Brick, Brick Church. So this was another opportunity for community to engage and have some conversations. I attended the uh, the Englert uh, Rebirth um, Brass Band. Just want to say, Englert, keep up the good work. It was an amazing event. Um, this Saturday, I'll be attending the Stand Up and Speak Out event at 2 p.m. at the Iowa City Public Library. That's in conjunction with the um, you know, the Iowa Youth Writers um, Project and doing a lot of work around um, getting our students to speak out um, related to various issues. Uh, I will be attending an improv comedy cage match. It's similar to Whose Line Is It Anyway? And I am old enough to know what that is. <laughs> And it's on January 19th at 7 p.m. at the West High Opstead Auditorium. That's it. I, I really don't have a lot to report, but yeah. I had a busy, long weekend. And uh, I attend, like, um, I've been a key speaker at Weber Elementary School for Martin Luther King. That was good with the children and everything. Uh, Saturday, we had International Night at Lincoln Elementary School. Uh, Sunday was busy, and by the way, Sunday people were calling me to complain about the snow because the city is closed, and they saying that what the procedure, and I don't have answer for them, but what the procedure when the long weekend and people are not cleaning the sidewalk, especially in Pheasant Ridge area, be a lot like two people fall on the sidewalk, and it was really bad and nasty. And they would like to complain about that. I give them the number for the hotline, I guess. But I don't know what the procedure when the city is closed. Uh, is that something they have to wait even if the city is closed like three days or <coughs> for Jeff? Yeah, they would on a sidewalk issue like that. We don't have anybody working to inspect uh, on, on a weekend like that. But. Um, th to call the hotline, leave a message, or you know, simply have to wait until we're back. 
um, for us to address that. I guess I said the same thing. Basically, they have to call back Tuesday and do that. Anyway, that's all. I, I think Martin Luther King Day was great, and we, Kinsey and I was reading the march, but it wasn't that cold. And it was a nice event. A lot of people here came, and thank you for the people who attended. Yeah, thanks. Good deal. Thanks. Rocky? Yeah, I really wanted to echo what Susan had said about the Grant Wood event. I mean, events like that don't just happen. Uh, the amount of planning that must have gone into that, the, the march, you know, getting the police cars lined up, the music, the food, the mm -hmm. entertainment, the dance. Uh, and I'm so always incredibly impressed with how talented our young people are. Um, oh my goodness, the future looks great for our community when we have this sort of talent. I also want to give a shout out to AME Church uh, for their worship service, 2.30 yesterday afternoon. Incredible. Great speeches by Jim and Kingsley. Kingsley got a standing O. Did you get a standing O, Jim? I don't, I don't I know. I didn't. Uh, yeah. so, but, but really inspiring yeah. stuff. And, and really, um, with MLK, I mean, this notion of combining words and action, um, you know, these continuing community conversations are going to be incredibly important. I hope we can continue to do that. But by the same token of the community members that we have, like Rakesha Harrington and Fred Newell and the great work that Royce Ann Porter is doing, I just feel like the community is making so much progress and we have to keep our eye on the ball and keep holding each other accountable. Uh, when we all fall short, we're not doing what we should be doing. We're not working hard enough. Uh, and that we look at that as, as something we really need to do. And relating to uh, Martin Luther King Jr., um, I'm going to be going this summer on a civil rights tour with Henry Harper on the bus. So and I think Jim is too. And I'm really excited about that because it's going to go through the uh, historical black colleges. And I think we're going to go to um, you know a lot of the areas that uh, King uh, took the bus on. So it's a really uh, honor to be able to go. Henry has 65 people signed up so far. Wow. It's and incredible. we're going to visit with the mayor of Birmingham, Alabama, too, which would be pretty fun. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, the events yesterday, uh, you, you all have already mentioned uh, Bethel AME and, uh, and uh, the event at Grant Wood. Uh, I'd like to note that both um, Chief Matherly and I spoke at New Creations Church and also Bethel Amy. And Jody did a fabulous job, just fabulous. He conveys so much commitment and sincerity. I think it has a huge effect on the community. It's a very good thing. And Laura came along with him, his wife, Laura. And I think she enjoyed being there and seeing her husband perform his role so very well. So yeah, that. A few other things. Uh, I want to mention very briefly that Jeff and I met with some representatives of Gloria Day Lutheran Church several days ago. There will be a follow-up meeting taking place later this week. So I'm not, I'm not going to give any report about what went on in those conversations, but you know, conversations have been taking place and will take place. Ah, I see you. Looking ahead a little bit, uh, I'm going to be participating in a strategic planning meeting for the Convention and Visitors Bureau Board on the 23rd of January. And later that day, I'll be attending a Partnership for Alcohol Safety meeting with Simon. Which reminds me, Simon, uh, if you could, uh, when you send me emails about the school board and the agenda for future school board meetings, would you please copy Pauline on that? Yeah, mm -hmm. thanks. And uh, just two other things. I'm going to be sharing lunch with Mayors John Lundell and Terry Donahue on the 31st. And then on the 1st, Pauline and I are going to be meeting with the University of Iowa's Government Relations Committee. 
So, you know, stuff continues to unfold, conversations take place. Okay, Jeff, you got anything? I'll defer to Ashley. Okay, on a little bit different note, I will just say that uh, Friday we finalized our agreement with uh, Bluestem Energy Solutions, LLC. Uh, they're out of Omaha, Nebraska, and they'll be performing our assessment uh, for solar uh, systems, solar voltaic systems that have potential at various city sites. Um, so we just kicked off the meeting this with a meeting this morning, um, and we are doing some information collecting. They'll be doing some on-site visits in mid-February or so, uh, mid to late February, and um, then they'll kind of do their analysis, um, mock up some designs, and get back to us with other cost estimates and, and feasibility of potential projects either on the ground or on rooftop. So I'll just share the couple of sites that we put out. It, it was in our RFP, but just to give you a sense of what areas we're looking at. Um, the City Park Pool House, um, probably a roof installation there. Uh, ground, uh, the wastewater treatment plant property, so down on Napoleon. Uh, the Parks and Forestry property off of Gilbert, uh, streets facility property, so there'll be some coordination in uh, looking at the both the new design for the public works facility as well as um, elsewhere on the property, the potential there. And then the last one would be, uh, oh, the last two, uh, at Mercer Park, potentially somewhere on that property and at the airport. So uh, those are the areas we've selected and, and we're, we kicked it off and we're starting on that project. Good deal. Glad to hear it. Sure. Eleanor? Kelly? All right. I think that means we're done with our work session. Terminate Great. it. Yeah, with can, our we formal can we take a, yeah, we're going to adjourn the work session to the formal meeting. Thank you. Thank you. Other way around. Huh? <laughs> yeah. But can we take a five minute break? We adjourn the formal. I move that we adjourn the formal okay. to our work session. Oh, I had that backwards, didn't yeah, I? Well, did. uh, it's just a, a confused break. kind of day. <laughs> okay, so the motion for MEMS, seconded by Botchway. All, all in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. All right, five minute break. Sure.